Over the past two years, I've been doing an executive MBA through UCT's Graduate School of Business. I found it to be an immensely transformative journey. As a result of the course transitioning into a virtual course, I didn't get much personal connection time with my fellow students. I was intrigued by many of their research topics, and in this podcast, I explore how fellow students experienced the course and what they chose to research and how that impacted their lives. Good morning, Gordon. Welcome to the studio. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, thank you, Petra. It's uh, great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. Great stuff. Will you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do and where you're from and what your job is? Yeah, definitely. So I am Gordon Wilson. I'm uh, blessed to live in the beautiful city of Cape Town with my wife of 16 years and uh, our two daughters who are just about entering their teens, which is both scary and exciting. I grew up in Durban most of my life there and uh, moved down to the Cape about 10 years ago in pursuit of um, corporate challenges, which is where I find myself today. And um, yeah, I uh, I guess personally and professionally, I'm fascinated with human behavior. So specifically around how and why people make decisions and what we can do with that knowledge to better understand, predict and influence human behavior. So I'm kind of blessed, I guess, in that I work in the human performance improvement industry for a company called Achievement Awards Group where we, we bring the, the science and the art of uh, business and people performance together. So, yeah, that's uh, me in a nutshell. So, so why did you choose, why did you decide to do this EMBA? You know, so where were you at that point in time two years ago when we started this EMBA? Where were you and why did you decide to pursue this specific degree? Yeah, that's a great question, Petro. So I, I was at a stage in my life where I wanted to push myself and grow to the next level. I felt that a master's degree at a prestigious university would would enable me to take that next step, would push me outside of my comfort zone. I think I'd been comfortable for a few years before that. And um, I was looking to just, you know, move past that and uh, get my, my thinking and my, my thinking challenged a bit and my eyes opened a bit to, to uh, what's out there. And I suppose, yeah, why did I choose the EMBA? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. It's a really good question, actually. And, um, I suppose there's a, there's an answer on a, on a three part level. So, you know, on a personal level, like I was saying, I really wanted to, to grow. I wanted to, to become, I wanted to become more. I wanted to become a better human being, you know, as a, as a, as an individual and as a, as a professional in my career to affect greater impact. And I suppose you went through the same kind of challenges. I mean, I, I looked, Obviously, naturally, UCT's GSB was like first choice for me. I've done some executive education short courses through them before. Uh, it's my local university, uh, 10 kilometers down the road. And, um, yeah, obviously it's, it's the best business school in Africa. You know, it's world renowned. They're producing leading edge, um, thinking and research and it's prestigious to study there. So that was like definitely my, my first choice. And, um, I looked at both. MBA. So, you know, your normal traditional MBA. Um, and then I looked at the executive MBA and the, the executive MBA was just, it was quite different in, in focus. And, um, you know, the EMBA has got a, it's got a far greater focus on, on one's ability to, to view the world through, through a different lens to conceptualize and to strategize, you know, as opposed to, I find, you know, most traditional MBAs are 
They just focus on improving your proficiency in, in functional management. Yeah, I found the same thing. I mean, I wanted to do something completely different and it's, it's, it has sounded completely different to any other MBA out there. It's almost as if it's, as if it's more focused on you in the world than just you. Um, which I thought was was very interesting. So we've been busy with this EMBA for the last two years. I mean, we've just finished our dissertations. And what did you find most useful over the last two years? Sure. It's a a tough question because, you know, there was was so much incredible knowledge packed into the two years. Sometimes you almost think it was was just too much knowledge. I actually find myself thinking, you know, I need to go back and, and refresh stuff. So... You know, what was useful and helpful? I could say things like, you know, systems thinking and multiple perspectives or the strategy execution or integrative thinking practice, you know. I could say those were standouts and, and they really were. But for me personally, and this was one of the draw cards to the, the executive MBA, was the softer stuff. So that focus around your personal transformation, your personal and authentic leadership, uh, mindfulness practice, reflexivity, uh, self-mastery and definitely uh you know as, as Koshik loved the uh the moral relativity with its focus on the attainment of a good life in the aristotelian sense you know these were these all the softer stuff they were integral in, in shaping me to who i am now and i think they'll keep on guiding me um, in my search for you know the kind of human uh, i'm aspiring to be yeah, I think I think what also is very very useful is that um, see one of the major draw cards for me was there was no exams because I really hate writing exams. Um, but through writing position papers, five five specific position papers, the things that I wrote in those papers, I'll never forget them because you spend so many weeks writing and researching and putting it in your own words that it's something that's going to stay with you forever. And I think that's so much more effective than having to write an exam about something. So for me, yeah, the position, the way in which we did it, I think. Uh, will help me to remember um, the learning. Although there's a lot I'd like to go back to and, and just refresh again. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. It was it was almost like it's designed to take the knowledge and actually apply it. And I think a lot of what we were getting taught and learning, we were able to put into practice in our work settings, you know, whilst we're doing those position papers. Yeah, for sure. So the last six months of our um, EMBA, we we choose a research project, which is um, sort of aligned to a dissertation and any other um, master's degree. And I think a lot of us sort of build up towards doing this research project towards the end. And, and how did you decide what you were going to do your research project on? So why did you choose your specific topic? Ah, oh, so into the good stuff. So let me start with the end in mind. So my title for my, my research project uh, ended up being Purpose as a Driver of Human Behavior, a Leadership Perspective. You know, there's a, a wonderful quote by George Bernard Shaw, where he said that this is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. So for me personally, purpose has always resonated. You know, I've always felt that I'm part of something bigger than myself. Uh, I've felt that I'm here on this earth to make a positive difference in the lives of people. And um, it was quite amazing, actually, in that purpose as a phenomenon started started appearing like here and there in my position papers, especially in position paper four, which focused on business model innovation as integrative thinking practice. And you'll remember it well. I mean, we had to conduct those business model innovation sessions. And yeah, it was quite a nerve wracking thing in the beginning. But it was in that in that BMI session it's, itself, you know, we were in the auditorium at my, at my office and um, we found that the problem we were actually trying to solve was was one of purpose and that the organization was not a purposeful 
or a purpose-driven organization. And it was quite a profound thing to, it was like a, a hard moment almost. And it led to multiple questions. You know, I started asking, all right, well, how do we activate our newly articulated purpose statement? Or, you know, how do we ensure that that work is meaningful and that our people understand the meaning behind their work? And there was just so many questions, you know, like how do we nudge our people forward to act on our mission and our values? And and how do we make sure that our purpose, you know, our, our corporate reason for existence is infused into into every aspect of the business? So, yeah, it was, it was really thought-provoking stuff. And I, mean, I don't want to get sidetracked on that position paper, but the output was a new purpose-centric model of organizational culture, which would shift an organization from, say, a hierarchical culture towards an, an entrepreneurial culture of you know, purposeful action, putting people at the center, greater autonomy and empowerment. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, you might say that purpose grabbed my attention there. You know, fast forward a, a few months later, and um, I have my research topic, purpose as a driver of human behavior. Uh, I mean, I, lo- I love it as well. I mean, there's so much research around um, if you can find purpose in the work that you're doing, you're going to be happy. You know, um, whenever we give any advice to children around what to choose for your career, we'll go find something that's meaningful to you or something that makes you happy and then you'll never have to work a day in your life, you know. So, and and I found, and but you can also change it. I mean, you can also change it to if, even if I'm stuck in a job that I really need to do because I need the money and I need to support my family, if you can find purpose in that job, it's not as, you know, you can, you can find a way to still deal with it. Um, so I think it's yeah. a fascinating top, topic. Yeah. Um, so what did you learn? I mean, we started off with trying to find out as much as possible about the topic before we went into researching it ourselves. So what did you learn about it? Uh, did you do a literature study and, and what, did, what did you learn b- before you started actually researching it? Yeah, so I mean, that's a great follow-up question, I guess, from the previous one. And I suppose I've touched on it a bit already, but finding this fascination in, in position paper four, I, I started reading more and more into purpose and reading into this concept and this phenomenon of purpose. And this was, you know, before we even got to block five and I came across a, a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was a, he was an American legal historian and a philosopher. And he said, most of us go to our graves with our music still inside us, unplayed. And that really caught my attention. You know, if you think about that, and I'll actually repeat it. Most of us go to our graves with our music still inside us, unplayed. And this really got me thinking, you know, because for, for me personally, purpose is powerful. And I started wondering, you know, like how many people in life don't realize their purpose? And, you know, how many of them never, never reach their full potential? And that's quite a scary thing to, to contemplate. So, you know, I started exploring this idea of purpose as something that drives us to, to be more and do more. And, you know, I actually, actually had a lot of fun in the process. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about that quite a lot in the last year. There's two things, actually. It's one, um, when we were in class, Chris Breen played a video of people dancing. Okay. And the whole thing was around, you know, you're meant to be dancing. You're not meant to be getting to the end of the dance. You're meant to be dancing in the moment. You're meant to be doing stuff, using your body, walking, exploring, doing things. You're not supposed to be trying to rush to the end of your life. Um, and that sort of hit home for me a, a lot because I lost my mom last year, you know, so you sort of think, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? You, you get that whole sense. And we lost a lot of people last year as well to COVID. 
and you sort of go, you know, I should be, I should be using my life. I should be doing purposeful stuff because you should be dancing. You should be doing something, you know. Um, so for me, that's also really, really relevant. Um, you, you sort of get this whole feel of, of, of your own mortality. If people close to you start passing away and you go, well, what am I actually doing with my life? You know, and you have to find a way to make it meaningful and purposeful because that's, I think that's what, why we're here is to find purpose, find meaning and, and, and do stuff that's important. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, I remember Chris Brink clearly and he played that ridiculously old video and it was like, I think it was dance while the music is playing or something like that. And it's just, it's profound because, you know, each day is a gift and, um, you, you never know when, uh, when you're going to have your last day. So. I know it's corny, but it's cheapers, you know. Live, no, it's live corny, but that's what it is, eh? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, I know for us, it's really interesting, the research methodology that we followed uh, to get to our outcomes. But tell me a little bit about what you did. I know you did something quite innovative. Yeah, so, I mean, research methodology, I won't chat about it too much, but, I mean, you'll remember from Block 5, in, the, in those two weeks, they just bombarded us with all these different types of approaches to our research and it was it was quite hectic actually you know there was just so many different these phrases getting thrown at us and brief explanations and and like i think i finished that period quite confused actually but in the end and a bit of help with my supervisor i um the the research paradigm that i adopted was interpretivism in that and i'll quote i'll quote blakey here interpretivists interpretivists believe that social reality is the product of its inhabitants it is a world interpreted by the meanings that people create and recreate as a necessary part of their daily life. So from a philosophical standpoint, this was perfect, you know, because purpose is a, is a social construct that people create their own meaning, you know, specifically to them. It's subjective of what purpose means to them. So back to my, my research methodology. So within this paradigm of interpretivism, I adopted action research to generate data and meaning about the phenomenon of purpose. And then I used thematic analysis to analyze the data. And um, I hadn't used thematic analysis before, uh, so it was really interesting. And my supervisor, Dr. Jean Bolton, she suggested it, and it worked out really well. So thematic analysis is a whole coding process where you you code all your, your data extracts from all your qualitative interviews. But this thematic analysis actually allows you to surface repeated patterns and connect the themes that are that are pulling through from those patterns in the data. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, no matter what research methodology you choose, it all ends up being the same type of thing. You gather data, you get themes, you group them together, and you discuss the themes. Okay, so that's sort of, and I think everybody I've spoken to, that's no matter what they did, if they whether they did grounded theory or phenomenology or uh, you said thematic analysis, at the end of the day, that is what it is. I mean, you, you you capture your data in a specific way as long as it's repeatable, right? As long as somebody who does interviews the same people that you did, um, I don't think um, with mine specifically you'd get exactly the same. Results because it's it was a very small sample, but I think for research methodology that that's what it is. You you basically get all your themes, put them together, and then for me I just discussed the most interesting themes that came out. So I went, I think these ones are the most interesting. I'm going to discuss these ones. So yeah, I mean, and for anybody who hasn't done research before, that's basically what it is. And what I liked about grounded theory or looking at experiential type analysis, it was 
when you listen to people like Brene Brown, they'll say to you that um, that sort of research is you giving stories with the heart, okay, stories with meaning, and you then turn them into actual outcomes for for your research. And that's exactly how I felt about it as well. Oh, wow. you, you take people's stories and turn it into data. Yeah, that is amazing. Hey, that's probably one of the hardest parts of the of the whole process as well, is because you know it takes such intense concentration analyzing all that data. And you're trying to be impartial and unbiased during the process. Um, but I, I quite enjoyed action research as the as the approach because it allowed me to be both participant and observer. You know, within the context of my research, and I was able to learn about the situation, this phenomenon of purpose that I was studying about. But I was also able to affect change. You know, within that process which was brilliant. Which in the end is what we want to do. I mean, I, I read a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it was somebody who said that all business research is action research. It all leads to action. It has to lead to action. Otherwise, why are you doing it? 100% um, agree. Yeah. So what did you find at the end of this whole process? Um, what were sort of the major things that came out of it? Sure. So that's a, let me try encapsulate this as neatly as possible. So uh, I um and maybe you would have experienced this as well. You know, I found often in the position papers, kind of approached the start of position paper and you kind of had like an, like an idea of what the end outcome was going to be. But my supervisor, Jean Bolton, right in the beginning, she said, don't have any ideas of what the final answer might be. She said, you know, just approach the research, start the research and just see where it takes you. So it was quite a difficult thing to do to kind of like let go. And I did. And it was, it was pretty awesome. So my, my whole approach was for the research. So my whole approach was to, from a leadership perspective, find out whether purpose is important or not. And what do we do with this knowledge to drive both business health and human flourishing? You know, in my mind, for me, you cannot have one or the other. We, we, we don't have a healthy business, but our people aren't flourishing. It has to be a both and situation. And uh, Jean Bolton, I mean, you know, her lectures were brilliant during our, our time on the course. And with her work into complexity theory and both and thinking, she was a fantastic sounding board um, throughout my research process. So there were multiple findings and I was trying to think, you know, beforehand, knowing that we were going to chat, you know, how do I, how do I wrap them up? And I think I'll just chat about the four major outcomes that the research produced. So firstly, purpose is important. You know, that was my primary research question was, you know, is purpose important? What do we do with that knowledge? So the first major outcome was, was purpose is important. So as a reason for being or a driving force, a guiding star, the reason why we exist, a central reference point, you know, or even that, that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, you know, which, whichever way you look at it, purpose is important. So this phenomenon of purpose as a as an aspirational orientational driving force, a reason for being in in service of a of a cause much greater than oneself. You know, it was just overwhelmingly evident in the research. You know, in fact, my findings highlighted the correlation, and you mentioned it right in the beginning, you know, the correlation between living a purposeful life and the associated positive psychological and physical well-being effects. It's pretty awesome, actually. You know, there's many studies, and I 
I worked through so many different works of literature and bodies of knowledge, you know, which indicate that purposeful people are healthier, they're happier, they tend to live longer, they tend to fulfill their potential, and they can even achieve and earn more. There was this one brilliant study that that looked at um, purpose-driven people 10 years apart and versus non-purpose-driven people, they found that these guys actually earned more a decade later than people who, who weren't purpose-driven. So, I mean, there's, there's so many studies and there's starting to be more and more studies into purpose, both at a, a corporate level as well as an academic level, which is fantastic. Secondly, so my second major finding was that purpose is an intrinsic motivator. So purpose as the, the underlying drive to do something because it is in service of something bigger than ourselves or because it's interesting or because it matters to us personally. That's an incredibly powerful motivational force for human beings. So, you know, purpose is this drive from within to do more and uh, be more, you know, to to improve the human condition as one lives towards their telos, you know, or Kashyyyk's favorite things to talk about Aristotle. But, you know, telos was the, the term that Aristotle used as the ultimate end goal of contributing towards the good of humankind and, you know, realizing one's full potential along that journey. The third major finding from my research was that organizations need to balance their focus. So, you know, you, you remember Milton, Milton Friedman, the economist back in the 70s, he says that, you know, the, the purpose of a business is to make profit. But, you know, that's not true anymore. Sure, purpose, I mean, businesses need profit, but purpose is so important. So organizations need to balance their focus. My research indicated that organizations can and should focus on both profit and purpose equally, you know, because profit actually is the primary driver which enables an organization to affect and expand its purpose in the wider ecology and society. So it really is a, a both and situation. You know, it's, organizations can focus on both. They can and they should. What is even more interesting, actually, is that companies that focus solely on profit, and this was just showed up in a few bits of literature that I read is that, you know, companies that focus solely on profit at the expense of, of purpose, they could in fact actually be holding themselves back. You know, they, they are actually limiting the impact they could have as an organization. And, um, you know, they could actually never reach their full potential as an organization in the form of, you know, corporate flourishment. Finally, the, the fourth major finding of my research was that, that leaders play a significant role. So, you know, leaders have agency. They can and should choose a, a virtue ethics approach to modern day business. Um, there was this fantastic research I found, and I, I can't remember who it was by at the moment, but they, they spoke to leaders as being the stewards of an organization's purpose. And as such, as stewards of an organization's purpose, leaders play a significant role in that leader-follower relationship. So, you know, at the end of the day, the key findings was that you know, leaders are they're actually responsible for creating the environment in which the, the inherent psychological needs of people can flourish. Um, and through this this enabling of, of individual expression to, to blossom, you know, in service of, of, of the greater good, leaders are, are actually doing good. You know, they're leading by example. And at the same time, they need to purposely frame a strategic approach that meets the needs of all stakeholders. 
I mean, those are absolutely brilliant um, findings. Uh, and I, I remember you shared a, a story by HPR as well um, on your LinkedIn profile around linking your own personal purpose to the company's purpose. And I think that's just so important as well. I'm going to ask you in a minute um, how we make all of this practical and and what does this mean for the future. But just um, from from my perspective as well, if I, I think about when our company, I work for a mining company, and when our company rephrased their purpose, um, they made it in such a way that each person could find how that relates to me. Okay, so the the purpose of the company, as stated, is to reimagine mining to improve people's lives. Okay, so which with each and every purse, piece of work that you do, you can go by doing this piece of work. Am I improving people's lives? Am I, am I improving our stakeholders' lives? Am I improving communities around our operations' lives? Am I improving the employees' lives, our suppliers? So you can always, you can, you can almost take that, that purpose that's stated for the company and go, by doing this work, am I actually improving people's lives or aren't I? Okay. That for me, it made it so practical. That I could go, you know, I could link it to, cause that's what I want to do. I want to be improving people's lives, you know. So for me, my purpose links to the company's purpose, which means that I can, I can find a way to do meaningful work within the company that I'm working with because the purpose aligns to my purpose. So what did you find in that sort of space where people can identify their own, their own purpose to the company's purpose? Yeah. So, so that was very interesting. So alignment. This was actually a very interesting part of the, the paper. So I also set out, it was one of my secondary focuses for the study is, you know, is, does there always have to be alignment at an individual level and a corporate level? And, and through the research, I mean, I, I interviewed 24 leaders at our organization. And um, part of those findings was that sometimes there, that there isn't always alignment at a purpose level, but there's alignment at a functional level. So people find purpose personally in the work that they're doing, even though they're not necessarily aligned to the purpose of the organization. I found that very interesting because, you know, I've, I've always been somebody to think, well, you know, if I don't agree with the purpose of the organization, why would I work here? So it, it was a, a very interesting, it was one of the outlier findings of the paper. There doesn't have to always be alignment, but that doesn't necessarily mean that leaders shouldn't try align people to the corporate purpose you know they need to create that space that allows people to almost find themselves and and find their own purpose in life and if it aligns to the organization's purpose awesome but if it doesn't that's okay you know then hopefully those individuals find their purpose in life and and they if they end up leaving then that's also all right but as leaders we should we should make sure that they leave our organization better off than than when they started with us so what do we do with these four findings so what, what is the, it's so, it's the so what question. Yeah. You've, you've done all this research. You've, um, found these, these things. What do we do with this information? How do we make it practical? So that is the very interesting part and exactly what you said. So what? I mean, I got to the end of the discussion of my findings, the end of chapter five, and I was like, okay, so what? What do we do with this knowledge that purpose is important? You know, and I got to thinking, how do we put purpose into practice? You know, how do we take these lofty ideals of a purpose statement and your organization's purpose statement is, is awesome. You know, it's crisp, it's concise and it resonates. But, you know, how, how do we take these lofty ideals of this overarching purpose statement and how do we turn that into the practices of how the organization operates on a daily basis? So I let my mind wander a bit 
and uh, I came up with actions so that could be implemented by organizations to help them put purpose into practice at uh, three different levels. You know, these were organizational level, leader level, and human resources level. And I don't want to talk too long, but I'll just touch quickly, you know, just the high level points at each of those three levels. So, you know, if we are wanting to put purpose into practice at an organizational level, the, the organization needs to elevate the focus on purpose to the same level as profit. The organizations need to, they need to craft and articulate a purpose statement that resonates and engages. I mean, you guys have done that brilliantly at your organization. What's really important as well is that organizations need to ensure that there is buy-in. You need buy-in at board level and executive level to, to the purpose of the organization because if it's not encapsulated in the hearts and minds of our leaders, it's never going to take hold in the hearts of our people. And and this was another very interesting one is that at organizational level, we need to make sure that that strategy, our strategy as an organization, is aligned with our purpose. I mean, it, it seems simple in in theory, but you know, in reality, it's not always the case. So, at the at the second level, you know, of putting purpose into practice was looked at leader level. So, so what should leaders be doing? And um, the the first point there I was thinking of is that leaders need to have an emotional connection with the organization's purpose. You can't have leaders who are fulfilling a task filled role and they don't buy in wholeheartedly to what the organization is trying to achieve in the wider ecology. Leaders also need to, they need to foster a meaningful connection, you know, with their people. Um, it was it was one of Adam Grant's papers, uh, it was published in 2012, I think, where he said that leaders play a critical role in managing the meaning that followers make out of their work. So continuing in there's a few more points at, at leader level, leaders need to show their people that they matter. So they need to make them feel seen, heard, and understood. You know, that's that's something that any human being wants, is they want to know that they are seen, heard, and understood. And it's important that, that leaders show people that they matter. This was a, a almost a secondary concept that came up, was this concept of mattering. And um, there's a whole lot of research actually going into that concept of mattering. People want to feel that they matter. Leaders are, are also... They need to show people how they fit into the bigger picture. I mean, it's really important if you, for example, have a call center agent, they need to know that what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, how does that fit into the bigger picture? And how does that task related, those functions that they're doing, how does that fit into helping us achieve our purpose as an organization? There was another incredibly interesting thing that came up in the research was this notion of behavioral integrity. And I mean, it's it sounds fancy but it's just it's where your words and your actions align but there's a whole lot of research into this concept of behavioral integrity so you know one of the ways in which leaders can put purpose into practice is to lead by example and then finally at at a leader level you know leaders need to they need to practice strategy with authenticity and this aligns to that that notion of behavioral integrity and then finally you know in terms of putting purpose into practice there was that third level so the first level was at an organizational level then second level was at leader level and and thirdly at human resources level so at hr level you know if we're wanting to put purpose into practice you know hr needs to they need to revisit their hiring practices you know particularly around leadership and uh, future leadership hires you know to ensure that there is alignment both at a at a personal level and at a values level 
and yeah, I think HR they also need to align their recruiting processes. You know, so the way they recruit, they need to align their internal development plans as well as the career paths. They all need to align that to enable purpose. So yeah, those were the those were the the, the actions arising out of the the research after asking my my so what question. You know, how do how do we put purpose into practice? So are you going to put this research into practice at your own company? We already are, Petra. So what happened was beautifully during the research process itself. And uh, it was something that actually Joe Raylan mentioned. He had his leadership as practice super, supervision groups. And I actually joined them, um, even though my supervisor was, was Gene Bolton, because uh, there was this leadership aspect to my research and, my, and to my research projects. And um, Joe Raylan said that sometimes the research itself is a change process. And we started finding that happening. So as I was doing these interviews and I did these 24 qualitative interviews and I had these reflective sense-making sessions, um, you know, intermittently, you know, when I was talking with various leaders around the findings and you know, getting their getting their opinions of, of what they thought was emerging from the research. And, um, you know, one of the outcomes was uh, our CEO asking me to craft a communication to the entire business to tell them what our purpose is and, and what it means to be a purpose-driven company and to explain where values and our mission fits in to, to what we're trying to achieve. So it was great to see that progress happening during the research process itself. And um, it's something that I want to continue doing at our organization. So my research f- focused on leadership level, and I'd like to move down a level now that the uh, thesis is submitted. I'd like to start working with groups of staff you know, to embed purpose, to help them understand what our corporate purpose means to them and and how they can find purpose in the work they do. Okay, so my podcast's name is called On Change. So it's about change. So I wanted to know, how did this whole process of doing the research and going through the EMBA change you personally? So this EMBA, this two-year journey has been amazing. It's got me, it's got me really excited about the future, to be honest. You know, I'm just so much more aware of the that there's so much there's so much available there's so much to explore so much more meaningful impact to be affected and and more value to be created so it has definitely changed the way i think and i work uh, i just like to think that i'm far more systemic in my thinking you know thinking around how the constituent parts interrelate within the whole system and you know what what the causal impacts of decisions we make in in isolation you know what impact that can have on on the rest of the system and um yeah you know the the entire emba process the the two years they flew by to be honest even though it was so busy and intense and full of pressure but the whole two-year journey has has changed the way i work so i spend i spend far more time now on improving myself and my craft as i as i aim to to increase my mastery you know as it relates to my field and my passion, you know, understanding the the purpose of a human life and how best we can solve business problems, you know, because people, they're at the heart of everything. And I'm also far more intentional. So I'm trying to focus more on producing quality work and not running on the always busy hamster wheel like I used to. I just used to be constantly busy and it's not a great way to work. You don't produce quality work when you're always just busy running from one thing to the next. So I've adopted a, an approach to carving out pockets of time during the day to to read, to practice mindfulness and to learn. 
you know, because I've, I've come to understand that I can't improve the human condition without improving myself first. And, you know, perhaps another quote, I love it, but uh, perhaps it was Leonardo da Vinci that uh, said it best, you know, when he said that one can have no smaller or greater mastery than mastery of oneself. Yeah, all of those resonate with me. I mean, intentional for me is almost the most important one, being deliberate about how you spend your time. Um, so we've discussed quite a lot of things now. Is there anything else that you wanted to raise that hasn't come up or a message that you wanted to get, get out there um, that we haven't discussed up until now? Yeah, no, I think we've, we've been pretty comprehensive. But I mean, uh, I think there's two aspects, you know, for, for those people who are wondering, you know, is this process worth it? I'll say completely. You know, it is terrifying when you start off and in your first day you get chucked into groups of people that you don't know and you get directed to these dingy black cell rooms in the old prison on campus and yeah, from the get-go it's just pressure and you know it's eight o'clock in the morning till 11 30 12 at night and it's intense but it changes you drastically i walked in on that first day and you know chest was out and thought yeah i'm, I'm the man you know executive mba and there were like 70 other people and yeah i quickly realized that i'm like i'm like Nothing compared to some of these people. There's some really accomplished and, you know, highly professional people here. And it was quite an amazing part of the process is that, you know, I'm naturally quite competitive. And Chris Breen in his sessions, he just smashed our egos, which was beautiful. And um, that's been a major, major change in my life. And it's really helped. And um, so, yeah, for, so for anyone who uh, who's wondering whether or not it's worth it, it's absolutely worth doing an MBA. I would recommend it any day of the week. Uh, it is tough. We lost a few people along the way who just you know, couldn't take it or, you know, took a leave of absence to try pick it up next year. And, you know, we also did it during an incredibly difficult time during COVID. It was, it was insane, actually. And it was brilliant how, how the business school just adapted and, and how they just changed their focus. And, you know, we, we made it work in virtual classrooms, which was brilliant. And then, yeah, I think, you know, the second thing is we get to this point, we've finished, we've submitted our thesis. I mean, how like, yeah, so now what do we do? Yeah, I felt guilty, like sitting on the couch at night. You know, I think I should be sitting in front of my computer or doing something. But I have been reading a lot more and uh, far more intentional, you know, of where I want to go in my career and what change I still want to, to affect. So it's a really positive, exciting space to be in. Yeah, I think um, I had the same experience at the end of it. Just what do I do with myself pacing around going, what am I supposed to do now? Because usually you just be in front of your computer and, and working. But, uh, what I, what I've taken out of it is the, the year that's, that's to come is to do more reading and to take more time out to rest. Because last year was definitely not a, not a year of rest. Um, so I'd like to, to do a bit more of that. Yeah, it was lovely to speak to you, Gordon. Uh, thanks so much for making the time available and good luck with whatever comes back from our moderators. Yeah, looking forward to that. And, um, I suppose you can't say I'm nervous. Happy with what I produced. That's all that we can it's hope done. for. It's done. There's nothing more we can do about it. Definitely. Yes. Thank you so much for the chance to chat and the opportunity. It was brilliant. Thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. Bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.